In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the grace of God, we will continue our Bible study. Now we'll study the first half of chapter 22 from the Gospel of St. Matthew. The Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 22. The main points of this chapter about many are called, but few are chosen. And we will understand the meaning of the word chosen here. Is it dependent on God? So he chose people and we have no choice in our salvation or it is dependent on us. What does it mean that few are chosen? Also, in uh, this chapter, the Lord answered question regarding paying taxes, resurrection, and the greatest commandment. And at the end of the chapter, the Lord asked them question about the Messiah, how he is the son of David, and in the same time he is the Lord of David how he is the son of David and the Lord of David. From verse 1 to verse 14, the Lord mentioned to them the parable of the wedding feast. This is actually the third parable directed toward the religious leaders. In chapter 21, the Lord mentioned two parables, the first one is about the wicked uh, vine dressers, and the second one about the two sons. One of them did the commandment or the will of his father, and the other one refused to do the commandment of his father. So in chapter 22, the Lord continues, and he mentioned the third parable directed toward the religious leader of Israel. From verse 15 to 22, the Pharisees and the Herodians gathered together, grouped together, in spite of the great difference between the theology and the doctrines of the Pharisees and the Herodians, but we will see how both of them grouped together to test the Lord Jesus Christ, to tempt him when they asked him question whether they should pay taxes to Caesar or not. Then from verse 23 to 33, we read about Sadducees and an argument against the resurrection of the dead. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Then from 34 to 40, a lawyer, lawyer doesn't mean attorney here, but those who memorized the law and testified for the law of Moses. So a lawyer asked about the greatest commandment of the law, although he is the one who interprets the law, but now he is asking about what is the greatest commandment of the law. And after the Lord silenced all of them with his answers, then the Lord actually asked them a question 
about the Messiah, how he is the son of David, and how in the same time he is the Lord of David. That's from verse 41 to 46. So let's start from verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. So the Lord here, by saying this parable, he wants to emphasize the rejection of the Jews. They rejected him. The Lord did not reject them. But as we read in the Gospel of John chapter 1, he came to his own, but his own refused to accept him. He came to his own, and his own refused to accept him. And then the Lord is predicting about the calling of the Gentiles to the true faith. And in this also parable, there is a hint towards the final judgment of both the Jews and the Gentiles. So, the main design in this parable is to show the Jews that they were all invited to believe in Christ. All of them were invited. Many are called. But at the end, few of them believed in him. Few from the Jews believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The subject of the parable is about the kingdom of heaven. As we read in verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And the parable ends in teaching about the divine judgment for both the Jews and also the Gentiles. If we count all the parables in the Gospel of St. Matthew that started with the word the kingdom of heaven is like, we will find that this is the eighth time that the Lord started a parable by the word the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is about the church. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom that God is establishing here on earth, his kingdom. And the marriage that is mentioned here as St. John Chrysostom says, is to show that there is nothing sorrowful in the kingdom of God. If you are a member in the kingdom of God, if you believed in Christ and you became member in the church, then there is nothing sorrowful in the kingdom of God, but all full of greatest spiritual joy. You may tell me how come we Christians suffer persecution and we go through hardships. So how are you saying nothing sorrowful in the kingdom of God? I would answer and say, yes, in spite of all the hardships, tribulations, persecution, but none of these things will take our joy from our heart. 
we will be joyful in spite of all these circumstances around us. As the Lord promised us, I will see you again and you will rejoice and nobody will take your joy away from you. And this is the beauty of the Christian life. Yes, we will suffer tribulations and hardships, but nothing will take this joy away from our heart. The king here is God the Father, who arranged marriage for his son. The son is Jesus Christ. And in many parables in the Bible, and also in many verses in the Bible, the relationship between Christ and us is the relationship of marriage. He is a bridegroom, and we are his bride. That's why St. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he, speak, he spoke about how he betrothed us to Christ. So he is the bridegroom, and we are his betrothed. And also in the book of Revelation, we read about the supper of the wedding of Christ, the wedding of the Lamb. So here, the kingdom of heaven is the church, and the king is God, the father, who arranged a marriage for his son, is uh, the son here is Jesus Christ. And I want to explain here that our salvation is not only the choice of the son, but it is also the will of the father. As we say in our uh, praises, by the will of the father uh, and the uh, and the, the, the choice of the Son and the Holy Spirit, he came and saved us. So the pleasure of the Father to save us, it is the pleasure of the Father to save us. That's why he arranged the marriage. He arranged the relationship between the church, the believers, and Christ to be a, a marriage relationship. And sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Here we can see how he sent them to a certain group at the beginning. This group was the Jews, Israel. In the first commission, the Lord said to the 12 disciples, don't go to the Gentiles. Go only to the lost sheep of Israel. He came to his own at the beginning, but when his own rejected him, then he sent his apostles to the Gentiles. So here he sent his servant to call those who were invited, Israel, to the wedding, but they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants. So for the second time, he sent again to Israel, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. For the second time, he sent to Israel. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest 
seized his servant, treated them spitefully, and killed them. It was actually the custom among the ancients for the guests to be invited twice. In the old Jewish tradition, when there was a wedding, they used to send invitation twice. The first invitation that they might prepare themselves. And the second invitation was sent a short time before the banquet that they might be there at the proper time. Uh, the servant that he sent for the first time were the prophets in the Old Testament, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, like Daniel, like Moses, Joshua, all the prophets, David, all the prophets of the Old Testament. And the servants who sent for the second time, John the Baptist, and also the disciples, the apostles, whom he sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And the marriage here is Christ's incarnation because he came as bridegroom to marry us, his bride. The Jews who were invited by Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, they were instructed to believe that the Messiah would celebrate this happy feast. So all the Jews understood when the Messiah come, he will deliver them, he will liberate them, and he will make a happy feast for them. But in their understanding, this freedom or deliverance is from the Romans and their empire, not from Satan and his kingdom. That's why they were crying to Jesus to restore the kingdom of David. Uh, even the Lord Jesus Christ, as the bridegroom, he called the Jews aloud and said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said also, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He called them by his actions, not by his words only, but, but also by his actions. Uh, and he informed the invited Jews that the banquet is ready because Christianity was about to be established and the way to eternal happiness was laid open to mankind. The banquet here is the sacraments that he gave us. He gave us his own body and his own blood. That's why when he said, uh, my dinner, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cat, cattle are killed. This actually is a hint toward his sacrifice on the cross. How he would offer himself as a sacrifice and then he will leave for us every day on the altar, his body and his blood, this banquet 
that make us united with him, married to him, be one in him, he abides in us and uh, we abide in him. Uh, and the Lord did not send them a single invitation. He repeatedly invited them. And the Jews were invited first of all, before any other nation, before any other tribe or country. By the Savior himself and by his apostles, when he sent them for the first time, when he told them, go to the lost sheep of Israel, and also in the Old Testament by the prophets. But they refused the invitation and actually they rejected Christ. Uh, and after all was made ready by the death and the resurrection of Christ, the banquet here, the fatted cattle and the oxen refers to how he would die on the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice and will be raised. So the establishment of the kingdom here by his resurrection the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, the church. And they were again invited when the apostles uh, went first to the Jews before going to the Gentiles. So after the Pentecost, the apostles went first to Israel. As the Lord said to them before his ascension, you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. From, actually for seven years, from the Pentecost, the gospel was preached to the Jews only. But they rejected him. Here the marriage feast, the banquet, refers, as I said, to the doctrines, to the sacraments, especially communion, to the graces and gifts that we receive, with which God feeds and nourishes our souls and make us united to him by faith in this life and by eternal joy and glory in the life after. And the servants here are the first preachers of the gospel, like the 12 apostles and the 72 who proclaimed the gospel of the salvation to the Jews, but they rejected him. So, the Lord is referring in the second time, as I said, to John the Baptist, the 12 disciples, and the 72 apostles. Uh, and they started their ministry in Jerusalem. Actually, if you study the book of Acts, you will find the first two chapters about ministry in Jerusalem, then from chapter 3 to chapter 7, the ministry in Judea, from chapter 8, the ministry in Samaria. And I want you to, you, you, I want you to see here the chronological order. The Lord told them, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. So chapter 1 and 2, Jerusalem. 3 to 7, Judea. 
Seven ended by the martyrdom of Saint Stephen. Eight, Samaria, the ministry of Philip in Samaria. To chapter 13, which actually is the beginning of the three missionary trips of Saint Paul, which to the end of the earth. So actually the apostles followed the instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ to be witnesses for him in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the end of the earth. But the Jews actually rejected the invitation and they used useless excuses, temporal concern, sensual enjoyment. They used their oxen, lands, wives, marriage as excuses to decline and thus they disrespected the invitation of God. They neglected this salvation and preferred secular enjoyment to the, king, to the kingdom of Christ. In, uh, in verse 6, when he said, And the rest seized his servant, treated them spitefully, and killed them. This actually refers to how in the Old Testament they tortured and killed the prophets, like what they did with Isaiah, what they did with Jeremiah, what they did with Daniel. And also in the New Testament, actually the first persecution of the Christian was by the hand of Israel, the Jews. So verse 6 looks forward as well as backward. Includes the suffering of the Christian preacher and martyrs in the New Testament as well as the prophets in the Old Testament. And when you read, actually, when you study the book of Acts, you can learn about the persecution of the apostles and the early church, whether St. Stephen or St. Paul or St. Peter or St. James, how actually they were killed by the hands of the Jews. Uh, and this refers to how they were ungrateful to the invitation of God. And this demonstrated their wickedness. From the punishment inflicted on the apostles and the prophets, as St. John Chrysostom says, we learn that no consideration how specious in any way or to any degree possible it may appear can prove a legitimate excuse for neglecting our spiritual duties. St. John Chrysostom is saying, in spite of all this persecution, but the apostles never ceased to preach the gospel. We read about St. Paul. They stoned him more than one time. They arrested him, but this never stopped him from preaching. So St. John Chrysostom is saying, Regardless of all these persecutions and sufferings, there is no legitimate excuse for us to neglect our spiritual duty to be witnesses for Christ. If this marriage did not happen between Christ and us, what does this mean if there is no marriage between Christ and us, if we rejected the invitation to the marriage? It means eternal separation from God. 
eternal separation from the glory of God, eternal separation from his power. And of course, this is a fearful outcome. Actually, when the Lord explained uh, how his people rejected the invitation, he gave us three examples in verse 5. The first people, they made, they made light of it. The second group went, uh, uh, went, to, went to their ways, one to his own farm and another to his business. The third group, they rested, the rest seized his servant, treated them spitefully and killed them. And we can reflect about these three groups who rejected the invitation of Christ. And they chose, they chose to be separated from God eternally and to lose their eternal salvation. The first group, they made light of it. They made light of it. This refers to the group who actually don't take God seriously, don't take his commandments seriously. They actually choose the pleasures of life and the enjoyment of uh, the earth here, the world, more than the salvation of their souls. Last Sunday was the last of temptation, and we read about the three temptations of Christ. So those who made light of it are similar to those who chose the, to eat, to change the stone into bread in order to satisfy their own body, their own lusts, and to, to choose the pleasures of the world for the, before, more than the word of God. The second group, one went to his own farm, another to his business. This group refers to those who are busy with their business, the love of the riches. And actually, in the temptation, the second group refers to those who saw the kingdom of the world and all its riches and made the money to be their God. That's why they sacrificed their own salvation in order uh, to gain the money and the riches of the world. It is materialism. The first group referred to hedonism, the love of pleasure, lovers of pleasure. Second group referred to materialism, love of money. The third group who seized the servants treated them spitefully. This reflects the egoism, those actually who are prideful. And this was the third temptation when Satan asked God to Christ to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple, to showing off. And many of us fall into this trap. And because of our ego, because of our pride, we treat others violently, unjustly, unfairly, outrageously. So this referred to egoism. And these are the three main temptations 
love of pleasure, love of money, and love of our, ourselves, our ego, our pride. Materialism, hedonism, and egoism. As St. John said, in the world, uh, it is the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Lust of eye is materialism, lust of the flesh is hedonism, and lust, uh, pride of life is egoism. And we can see how the three groups neglected their own salvation. And actually, they rejected those who brought for them the gospel of reconciliation and salvation. Verse 7, But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. This actually a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem and destruction of the temple, 70 AD, by the hand of the Titus, the Roman uh, soldier. So the king destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Jerusalem was burned in 70 AD. Uh, this actually refers to the punishment here on earth for those who despised his word and persecuted his servant. And as I said, this actually refers to the destruction of Jerusalem. The Roman armies were chosen to inflict the retribution upon the Jewish nation. St. John Chrysostom said, the Almighty knew full well that they were not worthy. He still sent them these frequently repeated invitations that they might be left without any excuse. So St. John Chrysostom is saying, although God knew or foreknew that they are unworthy, they will reject his invitation. But in spite of this foreknowledge, he continued to send them invitation after another in order to leave them without any excuse. They were not only less worthy of the marriage, but by their very great persistence, ungratefulness, and wickedness, they were quite unworthy of salvation. So those who rejected the gospel and the invitation to believe in Christ show that they are not worthy. Uh, and here we find how the apostles first kept, kept themselves within the area of Judea, but the Jews continually sought their destruction. As I told you, seven years after Pentecost, they were preaching in Jerusalem and Judea. Verse 8, Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. The Jews were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. This verse is about the calling of the Gentiles. 
As you know, the word Gentiles refers to the un-Jewish people. Un-Jewish people. And we can hear, we can see the same words in verse 9. St. Paul repeated them in Acts chapter 13, verse 46. St. Paul said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you, to Israel, to the Jewish people first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. It's exactly the same words. It was necessary for us, the apostles, to preach the word of God to you, the Jews, first. But because you rejected the word of God and counted yourself unworthy, then now we will go to the highways, to the streets, to the lanes, to the Gentiles, to invite them to the wedding. Highways in the Greek text literally means exit or going out, or path or roads, going out of path or roads. So as if we are exiting the ministry to the Jews and we exit from this road, the ministry of the Jews, to go to the whole world, to the end of the earth. And this was the beginning of the uh, mission, three missionary trips of St. Paul. So the picture here, as if there is a square or many street into which number of small streets enter. So this place, therefore, a place of meeting because streets from every direction enter into this square. So it's a place of meeting where many persons would be seen and persons of all descriptions, from all nations, from all tribes, from every tongue. In the Gospel of St. Luke, when he mentions this parable, we read streets and lanes, not highways and, uh, not highways, we read it streets and lanes, to point out the people to whom the apostles were sent are as either miserable beggars, Miserable beggars here, not in a materialistic way, but in a spiritual way. They are hungry and thirsty to the grace of God. They are poor, but their poverty is not just uh, a financial poverty, but it is poverty to the word of God and to his salvation. So, here the apostles were sent to the Gentiles who were poor spiritually and as if they are sitting by the sides of the ways asking for the grace of God. God is sending his salvation to every soul that all may believe and be saved. Verse 10, So those servants the apostles, like St. Paul, went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, 
and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Maybe good we can understand it, like Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile, but he was a good person. But what about bad? Why God actually calls the bad? God actually invites the bad not to remain bad, but in order to become good. So he's inviting even the bad that they may be transformed and be good. And actually, something here is strange happened. As we read in verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So apparently, these servants were dressing the people with wedding garment. But this man refused to put on the wedding garment. So he wanted to go into the banquet on his own terms and refused to put on the wedding garment. So the king said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? How you entered here? You should have a wedding garment before entering the banquet. Yes, whether you are good or bad, my servants dressed you in a wedding garment. Why you took this wedding garment off and you entered the banquet here without the wedding garment? And he was speechless because there was no excuse for him. He couldn't say your servant did not offer me a wedding garment because they did offer him a wedding garment. That's why he did not find anything to say. He was speechless. So, what the wedding garment here refers to? The garment here refers to baptism. In baptism, we take off the old man and we put on the new man. You who are baptized, you put on Christ. That's why symbolically, the church want to explain this, want to say to each one of us when we were baptized, you received a wedding garment. That's why they dress the, the babies or the children or the adults even who are baptized with white garments. To tell them, in baptism, you received the new man, you put on Christ. And then we need actually to keep this white garment clean. Maybe it is difficult to keep it clean. That's why the Lord gave us the sacrament of repentance and confession and the sacrament of communion. Anytime your white garment becomes spotted or defiled, you can make it clean again. You can make it whiter than snow by repentance, confession, and communion given for us for salvation, remission of sins, and eternal life. That's why we don't have excuse to have our garment defiled. In the book of Revelation, when John the theologian saw people dressed in white garment, 
He asked, who are, the, who are those who are walking in white garments? And the answer was not those who never sinned, but the answer was those who washed their garment or whitened their garment in the blood of the Lamb. So regardless how many times our garment comes spotted or defiled, every time in repentance, confession, and communion, our garment will become white again. So the garment of life or the wedding garment is our works to keep this garment white. And this is actually is mentioned here. So nobody presume that just faith alone is sufficient for our salvation. To accept the invitation only was not sufficient to salvation. But by accepting the invitation, he should put on the white garment and keep it white to enter the banquet of the wedding. St. John Chrysostom said, When therefore we are called by the grace of God, we are clothed with a white garment to preserve which from every, to preserve it from every stain, from every grievous sin, depends upon the diligence, like watching and praying of every individual. So St. John Chrysostom is saying this white garment, we need to preserve it white from every stain and every grievous sins through the life of watchfulness, prayer, repentance. Those who think that they can come to the feast, they can enter the kingdom of heaven, they can be in the eternal life on their own terms without a life of faith and works will be cast out like this man. This man thought that he can enter the, the wedding banquet with his own clothes, by my own terms, but my own understanding. Many people today, when they come to the commandment of God, they treat it like open buffet. What I mean by this, they pick and choose. Yes, I can keep this commandment, but I rejected this commandment. And they make their own gospel, their own commandments. So they come to the kingdom by their own terms. That's why they will be cast out. You cannot come to God by your own terms. The wedding kissed here, without the wedding garment, is the person who came, accepted the invitation, but did not care about the bridegroom enough to take the time to present his soul purified through repentance and works of faith. So this man represents every soul who actually did not care about the bridegroom enough to repent and to present his soul purified through repentance and works of faith. And here God called upon him to confess. He gave him opportunity. He told him, why you are not wearing the garment? But he was speechless. Actually, he had opportunity to confess his sins 
and to put on the garment as long as he lives here on earth. Like when the ministers, the priests, the clergy ask you why you did not repent or why you are not baptized until now. Instead of being speechless, actually you should accept this and repent and return to God. So here God actually called upon him to confess but he failed to ask for forgiveness and to repent. That's why at the hour of judgment in the last day, it will be too late for those who failed to cleanse their souls in the sacrament of repentance, confession, and communion, and to put on the white garment of the wedding. So not having on a wedding garment means not having put off the old man and put on the new man, not being made new creature in Christ, not having put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and as I said, it refers to baptism. Then actually there is a ref reference here to the final judgment. Verse 13, Then the king said to the servant, Bind him hand and foot, Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this verse actually is reference to the final judgment. The place of wailing and gnashing of teeth in verse 13 is the same place of eternal judgment as in other parables as you read them in Matthew chapter 13. God the Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, as our bridegroom. And God the Father has given us all what we need through the sacraments to be dressed in the wedding garment of the divine grace in order to enter into intimate relationship with Christ, our bridegroom. He gave us everything we need as grace. And as I told you, no matter how many times your garment is defiled, you can wash it again and you can make it whiter than snow in repentance and in communion. So there is no excuse here. You cannot say, you know, it's too difficult for me to keep my, white, my, my garment white. It's, there is no uh, excuse here. Yes, it is not God's desire that anyone should perish. God does not desire the death of a sinner, rather that he returns and lives. God actually has made invitation and he did everything that we need in order for us to be saved. But at the end, it is our choice. That's why in verse 14, the Lord said, For many are called, but few are chosen. The word few are chosen can raise a question here. Is it God who chooses without our will? So we have no word here, we have no saying here whether to accept the invitation or not. Of course not. This is not the case. But chosen here refers to those who accepted the invitation 
and complied with the condition to keep their garment white. So, if we accepted the invitation and we kept our garment white, we'll be chosen. So it depends on you, not on God. He called many. He called everybody. But not everybody accepted the calling and not everybody kept the garment white. In the first parable, the chosen refers in the parables in chapter 21, when the father sent his two sons to work and one accepted to work in the vineyard and the other refused. So the chosen are those who went to the vineyard and worked. And in this parable, those who arrayed themselves with the wedding garment of holiness. So the choice here, dependent upon us, how we answer the calling of Christ and how we accept the invitation to be intimate relationship with him. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Before I discuss the question, let me just uh, say a few words about the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. In chapter 21, the Pharisees themselves asked the Lord Jesus Christ and they could not actually hold him or catch him with one of his words. So now they went and did not come again, but they sent their disciples. Maybe they thought that Jesus would not recognize their disciples. He wouldn't know that these disciples are the disciples of the Pharisees. And actually, they grouped with the Herodians. Although, as I explained, they are of two completely different schools, the Herodians and the, the, the Pharisees. So, uh, during the first days of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, we had two confrontations with the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and the Pharisees. And the Lord responded to this confrontation and these challenges by these three parables. The parable of the wicked vine dressers, the parable of the wedding of the son of the king, and the parable of the two sons that were sent to work in the vineyard. And clear here that the Pharisees could not catch the Lord Jesus Christ with a word. They were unable to refute his teaching. That's why the Pharisees withdrew in order to regroup, in order to make a plot to catch the Lord Jesus Christ. And this time, they joined forces with the Herodians. Herodians are supporters of the Romans' rulers. They are supporters of Herod the Great. 
and his descendants, his children. That's why they called themselves Herodians. And we can see here the different school. The Pharisees were not enthusiastic with the Roman rule. And as a group, they refused to take the oath of alliance to Rome and to King Herod. They refused to be loyal to King Herod and to the Romans. The Herodians, on the other hand, were Greek, uh, were, sorry, Jews, Jews who lived in the Greek culture, Jewish people who lived in the Greek culture, who cooperated with and admired the Roman rulers. And they were not faithful to the law of Moses. We have here the Pharisees who are very faithful to the law of Moses and also against the Roman uh, Empire. And we have the Herodians who are loyal to Herod and Roman Empire and also uh, not faithful to the law of Moses. But although coming from a contradicting schools, they are united for one thing, to challenge the Lord Jesus Christ that they might arrest him or catch him with the word. And you notice also that the same Pharisees that challenged the Lord Jesus Christ earlier did not return, but they sent their disciples this time, assuming that the Lord Jesus Christ actually did not recognize their disciples. And they used a different strategy, a strategy that they will flatter the Lord Jesus Christ with their words, hoping that he will fall into the trap. And also, it is worthy to remark that they could not trap the Lord Jesus Christ by his actions. That's why now they are seeking to trap him by his words, because they couldn't find any fault in his actions. So the Pharisees here instructed their disciples and the Herodians to speak in friendly manner to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might put off his guards and thereby they can trap him thinking that the Lord Jesus Christ, like other men, could be led away by flattery. But this was hypocrisy. So, they came to him, as we read in verse 16, and they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true. They are trying, actually, to be friendly with him, to flatter him. We know, and they called him teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth. There's actually sitting the, 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 the stage here for the trap. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. So they called him teacher, you are true, you teach the way of God in truth, and you don't care about anyone, including Caesar, 
because you don't regard the person of man. And here is a question, the trap. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And this question was a very difficult question. Because, actually, it is a lose-lose question. Any answer to this question will be lost. It was asked why it is difficult. Because this question was asked in the presence of the people who professed to have no other king but God, who are bothered by the Roman occupation, and they were looking for their independence from the Roman Empire. And they perceived Jesus as the Messiah who will deliver them from Caesar. So if he said, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, then the people will not follow Jesus Christ anymore. Also, this question is asked in the presence of the Pharisees, some of which actually they are uh, uh, they, they, they see that it is unlawful for the people of God to serve a stranger like King Herod, those who worship the idols. So he will not only lose the people, but actually he will be like a transgressor to the word of God because it is unlawful for the word of God to serve a stranger or people who worship idols. Also this question is asked in the presence of the Herodians. And as I told you, Herodians are very loyal to Herod. So if he said, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then actually this word will be taken to Herod and to King Caesar, and they may cause the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I told you, this question, if he said, don't pay, to Caesar, Caesar will be offended and he will arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. If he say pay, he will be perceived as transgressor to the word of God and he will lose the people who followed him as the Messiah. Uh, if he said don't pay taxes to Caesar, he would be encouraging the people to reject the Roman authority over Judea. And as I said, he could be arrested by the Romans for encouraging revolution. And if he said, yes, pay taxes uh, to Caesar, uh, actually, they will destroy, the Pharisees and Herodians will destroy his influence on the Jewish people, because the Jewish people hated the Romans. Uh, and he will be taking a position contrary to the feeling of the 